Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined by Dominic Smales, founder and chief executive of Glean Futures. After spending 15 years in media, production and advertising at companies including Chrysalis and USP Content, he set up Glean Futures in 2010. The company is one of the biggest digital-first talent management companies in the world and represents clients such as Tanya Burr, Zoe Sugg, a.k.a. Zoella, Pixie Wu, Grace Fit and Jack Maynard. Dominic has been previously recognised in the Debrett's 500 Most Influential People in the UK, the bookseller Power 100, Wired Magazine's 100 Most Powerful and the business insider Coolest 100 People in Tech. Dom, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Coolest people in tech? <laughs> no, yeah, why that's my favourite one. Why aren't I on any of these lists? <laughs> you seem to be doing far better Listen, than I am. I ask myself the question, why am I on any of those lists? And why are you then? Come on. Tell us. I think I think the point there is that's 2016's coolest people in tech, and they charged me to receive a little trophy to put in the office as well. Perhaps they're just after that extra revenue. But what you do is pretty cool, isn't it? Let's be honest. Let's just dispense with the formalities. It's a pretty pretty <laughs> awesome job. It is, and I say and have said in the past a number of times, it's the best job in the world. Absolutely. So tell our listeners, what do you actually do? So I run a company called Gleam Futures, and we are a digital-first talent management company. So we develop and manage the careers of people that have developed an audience on digital platforms first. So YouTube and Instagram and the like. And the like and the such like, absolutely. And then it's about expanding those careers beyond those platforms. Uh, but we are experts at people that have started their careers on digital platforms, first of all. I remember reading about that uh, young girl who was on Instagram with millions of followers who couldn't even sell 23 t-shirts though. So, you know, how do you do it and how do you monetize it? Who was that? I wish you hadn't (laughs) asked that because I've forgotten her name. I thought the fact I'd forgotten her name was uh, implied in the question, if I'm honest. Okay. uh, So, well, back in 2010, when the business was founded, it was a very different landscape than it is now in 2019. And to give you an idea of how far it's come, in 2010, if you went on a, there's a, a website called Social Blade that tracks uh, the metrics and uh, numbers behind the amount of people that profess to be creators on these platforms. If you went on Social Blade in 2010 and looked, there might be 15,000 creators on social media platforms. Now there's 25 million creators on social media platforms so between 2010 and now there's been an absolutely enormous explosion in just the volume of not only people that are making their livings on social media but also businesses that come into the ecosystem to profit from all of the other ways of making money in the space and they say a rising tide lifts all boats but is there a bit of a dilution here actually to mix my metaphors that with all of those many millions of people now doing it that isn't it even more difficult to stand out and gain an audience absolutely like everything i guess kind of our challenge uh, is now more than it's ever been to stand out as the quality option and it's the same for the talent also in that the barriers to becoming nowadays they're called influencers course the barriers to becoming an influencer are pretty much non-existent i.e if you've got an internet connection and a smartphone you can download instagram and set up an instagram account call yourself an influencer all of those barriers are either very low or virtually non-existent so yeah there's just an enormous volume of people in the space so it could be seen to have diluted quality 
I mean, I read an article recently about influencers that are pretending that their holidays have been sponsored by travel companies. The reality is they've just paid for it themselves, but they they want the cashier of having faking being a brand ambassador. Is there a lot of a lot of that going on at the moment? Yeah, it's a really aspirational job to have to be uh, a professional influencer or a professional digital first talent, and uh, you will find that. There's a certain amount of cachet that comes with, hey, I'm being paid to go on holiday or all of those kind of things. So, But that's, again, it's part of the challenge for the whole industry is to be able to recognise what really good work looks like. Um, and that's the job work we've got to do. So what does good work look like then? I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> well, good work involves uh, there being genuine engagement between the creator and the audience that's consuming the content that they create good work is people that can create content that is of basically good quality so if your podcast had terrible audio and really boring content then it wouldn't be as popular as someone that had achieved that level that that level of uh, quality this has terrible content but it's recorded really well (laughs) and that's a slight on me of course not your good self um and the same same applies really but there are mediums that have been around for a lot longer so they've got a lot more experts in them that are more adept at noticing what good looks like than this particular medium i.e social media talent and i'm an old giffer now that i'm 44 so maybe i just don't get this really but i I mean i follow a few people on instagram but I, i can see that with my nieces for example is that they spend so much more time on it engaging with things but i i'm i'm struggling to see how they would monetize it well like any other job in the entertainment business that has people entertaining audiences at scale then there are, is a commercial side to it because it's not only the brands that want to partner with these guys in order to reach those audiences but also there's the creation of IP that depending on how good it is can be very valuable so if you look at i don't know your your nieces who may have a number of Instagram followers. How old are your nieces? 14 and 16. Right, okay, so they might well have Instagram followers, but do they have a relationship with those followers that allows monetization? So how would you monetize it then? I mean, books and video series, how, how does it actually work? I mean, how does someone like Zoella earn her money? So there are a number of revenue streams, um, and it is about creating content that people want to engage with, and sometimes you can put them on uh, platforms that, you need to buy so a published book for example there's a publishing deal there that earns money Um, there are developing brands and we've helped talent grow global brands themselves that are distributed in the same way any brand that you can think of will be distributed and there's money there in the distribution as well as in some small part there are revenue shares between the platforms themselves for advertising that's featured on the on the platforms so if you're a traditional brand that's trying to attract young female audiences then someone like Zoella is a great person to partner with absolutely yeah uh, so Zoe is in the very top tier of trusted creators for that type of content and she has a very large female young female audience so how do you how do you advise someone like that then to to maximize their their reach and impact because in a sense it, it's who she is that the that her audience is connecting with so are you are you the experts at turning that into a business proposition then and making it sustainable we say we protect develop and monetize and it's about trying to build sustainable careers for people that find themselves in a situation where they have a a large audience 
I think that's probably where the word influencer, when it was invented a few years ago, has kind of detracted from that because it vanillarizes, if that's even a word, I don't know if it is, but it makes vanilla the job of doing that. We're interested in people that are making valuable content and content that's valuable to specific audiences. And then we help them not only connect with partners that that want to work with them on creating content together. That might be a brand, that might be a publisher, it might be a clothing manufacturer. Uh, we also work with them to build a, a strategy for a career that has longevity. And we also do kind of peripheral things as well, like uh, helping with uh, finding quality and trusted partners with for publicity or making their own line of merch or protecting them when it comes to legal and business affairs um, all kinds of stuff even kind of accompanying them down red carpets when they've got a big night out I mean 42 million followers I think Zoella has across all of the various platforms that kind of influence is just unheard of I mean when you when you see sort of the BBC News Channel reviewing the papers on a night, you know, they, they at best would hope to sell sort of two or three hundred thousand copies. And you compare that to 42 million, it's like the traditional media hasn't truly caught up with the sheer power and scale of this because, frankly, it seems to me like it's a generational thing that the old, old giffers that are running news channels just aren't seeing the scale of this. <laughs> well, so this is a kind of like a, it's a constant question and line of conversation. I don't think this isn't the death knoll for all other forms of media, but this is the realisation that there has been a seismic shift in the way that a generation consume their entertainment and talent. So you will probably, it's quite clear now that even if your traditional talent that has made their name and built their audience on television, it's just as pertinent that they have a following on social media also and they'll engage with those people. Uh, as well as the Saturday night TV show that they host. It's about recognition that these are valuable and viable channels that can't be ignored anymore, and we have to engage with audiences uh, across all of those channels in a completely kind of, uh, I don't know, agnostic way, I guess. What gave you the idea for Gleam Futures? I So I've worked in media for most of my working life. I left college and got a job at marketing agencies, and then I went into big media owners like Daily Mail and General Trust, and then Chrysalis Radio, which has now, of course, grown and merged and grown and is now Global Radio. And I ended up working at a small production company that made TV and radio content. And it was during that time, it's a long and cheesy story, but I had a big health episode, basically, that made me kind of question life and what I was doing I decided that I wanted to take more control of my destiny and all of those kind of things Uh, and I quit and started a small consultancy that dealt with social media because it was a realization that I found social media and the platforms on social media fascinating as a media guy Uh, and I was fascinated to see where they would go in the future and so I started consulting with brands I quit and started my own consultancy and started consulting with brands on social media but during those first few months I met a couple of girls who were running a YouTube channel called Pixie Woo. And Is just, this the makeup tutorials? Yeah Sam and Nick Chapman who were basically teaching an audience how to apply makeup but in a professional sense they're professional makeup artists and uh, we met and got on and I was really interested in what they were doing and I could see that it would only grow. I could see that the platform would only grow. These guys as well weren't just makeup artists, t- 
teaching people how to do makeup, they had bags of charisma and I knew that I could walk them into a room with potential partners and they would be charming and presentable and all of those kind of things and, and had the makings of talent. Now, I hadn't had much dealing with talent other than we had agents at the production company that were managing TV and radio presenters, um, but I wasn't hands-on uh, managing them or agenting them. And were they doing this for as a hobby at that point? Yeah, Were you the much. one who kind of professionalised Yeah, they were it? professional makeup artists. And the proposition was that I think we could make more of what you're doing on YouTube. They said, well, we haven't got a manager. Do you want a manager? So I'm like, well, all right, I'll, I'll give it a crack. And they introduced me to their uh, friends and to their family, actually, also. So... Uh, who are all starting out on YouTube at that time. And this is 2010, 2011. So it's very early days in uh, YouTube talent terms. And their channels were all also growing. So I started brokering deals for them. And it was specifically, I guess, your question was about what gave me the idea. It was a realisation that here is a, an entertainment platform that is only going to grow, I saw. And here are here is a new uh, form of talent that, is only going to grow. And it, interestingly as well, that talent is about connecting with audiences in hyper-real ways. And this is at a point when reality TV and uh, audience are getting more and more savvy about what is real and what is fake and all of that kind of stuff. And there's So-called a... structured reality. And yeah. You even get storyline consultants on so-called reality television shows like Love Island. Yeah, I bet. And... Uh, the, the kind of golden egg in there was this talent to be able to perform properly and impart knowledge or entertain. And then the unique relationship between a talent and their audience. And those two things growing in the future, I saw as a, a foregone thing, basically. So that's when I kind of took the, took the leap, as it were. What kind of stresses and strains do you have on the talent then, given that it is this hyper-connectedness, this hyper-real? I mean, g given that, you know, people are uploading YouTube videos on a daily basis, people must feel an incredibly meaningful and deep connection, which is actually only one-sided, of course. I'd say it wasn't one-sided. It was a two-sided relationship, for sure. The audience plays a really important role in um, the, the talent and the audience dynamic but I, I see it with my own clients i mean matt goss is one of our clients mm -hmm. and you know if he tweets he gets like 400 responses now you know he can't respond to 400 people no i guess not and there and listen this is another kind of like misconception is that i've had i have a lot of conversations where everybody says but yeah i'm in the wrong job i ought to be making youtube videos for my bedroom and earning a living because it seems like oh that looks easy the last thing it is is easy the people that are at the top of their game are people that have applied years and years of hard work, tenacity, late nights, always on, dealing with the pressure of, of the scrutiny of a very large audience constantly, and not in the same way as, you know, I, I, I appear on a TV show, then I wait for the critics in the papers the next week or the next day. This is an immediate feedback within over seconds. social media, within seconds, plus some negativity that can come with it and 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 they don't have kind of you know a layer of uh, producers and editors and so on and so forth between them and what the audience are saying and thinking so it, it comes directly to the creator and the creator it is basically putting their personality on the out line. there out there it must be incredible line. it must so be a, a vulnerability there you must have quite totally. a tough it's like a, a thick skin job. you have to develop a, a, a thick skin and you also have to uh, develop a, uh, 
an ability, I guess, to deal with that kind of criticism at a particular level so that it doesn't affect you quite deeply and emotionally. But it is a tough job. Do any of your clients share anything in common? Is it that resilience? Is it like a tenacity? Is it a, a, a thick skin? Uh, are there any commonalities between them? Yeah, they. I mean, all of them are creative people. And I think it's often forgotten as well how creative these guys are because they are producing things, certainly to begin with, totally on their own. And the other thing is that there's a kind of like an innate entrepreneurialism that they have. because drive and ambition. Yeah, absolutely. uh, That requires the kind of always-on approach to producing content. But there's also an enormous passion that drives them all that um, makes it most of the time an absolute pleasure. And you've tried using algorithmic products, have you not, to uncover new stars? How does that work? Well... We haven't actually up to this point. So we we there's a team of I don't know forty or fifty people at Gleam who, all of which are obsessed with digital first talent. That's what we do. It's an incredible payroll. It, it's As a what... fellow employer, my first thought is fifty people end of the month. Yeah, I do a Reggie Perrin. It mounts up. Yeah, I don't doubt it. And all of them have this passion about digital first talent in common. Um, it's all we do. It's always we've ever done. Um, it's not kind of an arm of the business that has been an offshoot of a, a, a PR agency. And after it's all we do, and so we discovering new talent all the time, just organically, because the people that sit on the floor at Gleam, both in London, Los Angeles, and in Sydney, all spot people all the time. Now, if someone comes up on the radar, and I'm doing rabbit ears for around the word radar, and someone comes up on the radar, then it's obvious if they are going to be good because we kind of know there's a certain amount of gut feeling that goes into it. So there's been an explosion of algorithmic products that drive discovery of fast-growing talent or um, people that are talking about specific subjects. And of course, they will play their part in the future, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, when you are talking about people that are just great and are going to be great, I think that then there has to be a a human um, subjective lens that we we view it through basically and that's what we apply so if i was ever going to get discovered because i've been laboring away at this podcast for three Mm -hmm. miserable years and i still haven't been discovered but let's say i was and some algorithm discovered me are there other gleams do you have competitors that that i might have competing offers from yes yeah we do we have a lot of competitors nowadays um so you've blazed a trail and then these johnny come lately's come in and they're they're nicking some of the business (laughs) well certainly in this country we were absolutely the first in the States. It was a bit more uh, sophisticated, shall we say. And there were, at the West Coast of America is the, the birthplace of online video. And there are, there, and it's also the kind of like the hub of talent in the world, I guess. And there are managers in the States that were doing it around the same time and agents as well at, at some of the big agencies that were spotting the fact that there were creators on digital platforms that were driving audiences that could be monetized perhaps. But we were certainly the first in in the UK. And that gives us a a breadth of experience, I guess, that's fairly unrivaled when it comes to working with this type of talent that's now called influencers. So those 50 people that um, is a scarily large number of employees (laughs) for someone to have, how does that work? I mean, how do you, on the pie chart, what are the division of responsibilities and what what are they doing? (laughs) <laughs> who knows <laughs> yeah I have that problem myself <laughs> so they are 
divided into uh, there's talent managers there are talent coordinators that help the talent managers with the talent uh, because it is a very hands-on business the talent managers are not like agents in that there are tens and tens of talent that are agented by the managers they're managing them so they have a very close relationship with the managers with the talent that they deal with um, there are um, people that work in our publishing department so we had such success um, publishing books with the talent that we started our own literary agency in-house called Gleam Titles uh, and there we're representing uh, digital first talent but in literary uh, we have a brand partnerships team that has uh, grown considerably that deals specifically with the relationships between advertising media agencies brands themselves and then brokering deals between those brands and the talent uh, we have just founded a, a brand consultancy called gleam solutions which deals in end-to-end -end solutions for brands with digital first talent uh, because the space has become fairly noisy and cluttered and confusing recently uh, but there's more and more interest in, in how to work with these this type of talent because at the end of the day it's very powerful it works and it's the audiences are growing we also have a legal and business affairs department we have uh, the uh, management so people that help me and that is kind of replicated in our other offices also so it's fairly busy it sounds it. And these digital first stars, as you call them, do they become kind of broadcast second? I mean, do you ever get uh, Bake Off come to you and say, you know, we want to put the next YouTube star on the show? Does it is that a part of the evolution or do they tend to stay loyal to their their base through social? Both, I would say. I mean, I think there is a big opportunity now for the lines to be further blurred between the mediums. Because um, would you take on a digital second client that said? made their name on Bake Off but then wanted to develop a, a primarily digital presence? That's an interesting question because if you had asked me that maybe a year or two ago I'd say no but I think now there is an opportunity for talent who are coming up through other platforms that will at the same time will develop a digital audience because of the way of the world so it would have to be a specific type of talent then there is an opportunity to manage them in a kind of like I don't know, platform agnostic way, I guess. I think that the levels of expertise that we have on, on social media platforms and managing talent on social media platforms plays to our advantage very much when it comes to dealing with the other platforms as well, so TV, radio, etc. Because I think if we were to look at uh, the, you know young talent that naturally use social media platforms anyway, even if they're hosting a TV show on... Uh, on ITV or Channel 4, then I think they're requisite skills. So, so that's a very long answer. It's a long question. podcast, so we're <laughs> grateful for the detail. <laughs> but yeah, now I think we would, but it'd have to be a specific type of talent. So it wouldn't, uh, if, if someone from Antiques Roadshow approached us and, says, and said that we'd like, to, we'd like you to represent us and we're mostly interested in developing a radio format, probably say no. But if it were someone that had a really clear vision on how they wanted to simultaneously grow their online career alongside their radio and television, then I can't see any reason not to. So nowadays, I think audiences are less concerned with a specific technology behind the platform that they're being entertained on or consuming their talent on or 
their media brands on because the platforms are ubiquitous in that I like watching Sam and Nick Chapman teach me how to do makeup, for example. Now, if I see them on my TV screen or I see them on my laptop or I see them on my smartphone, I'm not overly concerned with that. It's, it's what's easiest to consume that content. Uh, I will go to it and, uh, and not think specifically about the brand of the platform. So that's why I think we've done so well in publishing is that for years previous to us publishing any books with our talent, the publishers would say, well, these guys are really great on YouTube and Instagram, but there's no way they're going to sell any books because their audience is used to getting all of the content that they can they consume from these guys for free. So why would they pay to get a paperback book? Uh, and the result was, once we'd got a publishing deal and published a book, the result was the audience was just into what these guys were producing so creatively. They a book. So they would, if they were offered a different form of that creativity and it happened to be in the page of the book, then they'd go down to the bookstore and pick up a book and consume that talent on that platform. And no, I think I that's probably that's... what will happen. Sorry to interrupt there. I, th- I think the, the, the issue about the platforms, though, is which ones you can monetize because, I mean, you can share revenue with YouTube, but if it's like Instagram and Facebook, they if you're creating content for those pages, then they, they take all the money, don't they, from the adverts? Yeah, I think it, I think that's evolving all the time. I mean, there are, there are platforms that don't have any monetization on them at all. Look at uh, TikTok. Enormous chinese social media platform that doesn't have as far as i know and i might be it might have changed last week this is the pace of this industry but as far as i know it doesn't have any monetization or or ad served into it but there are talent on that platform with multi multi millions of of followers it's about preserving quality though at the, the, the end of the day and audiences whatever platform the talent is on won't pay for or engage with content that isn't of a certain quality and what kind of relationship do you have with your clients or uh, your talent, as you would call it, on a kind of fundamental level? I mean, you know, Simon Fuller put together sort of S Club 7 and all of these kind of bands. And you see Justin Timberlake did an interview with Rolling Stone recently where he said he only got $100 a week because the guy who ran NSYNC created it, owned everything and then gave him $15,000 at the end of it. And they all left in poverty. Um, do, do you have that type of relationship where you're a Simon Fuller, you create and control. And if someone signs up with you, they get 50 quid a week or... or is it more of a traditional agent type role where Zoella, I read somewhere she gets 50 grand a month from YouTube. Now, it doesn't matter what the figures are, but do you get like a cut of that? How does it work? I'm not asking for specifics. It's more about how this thing works in principle. So You're now going to tell me to bugger off, aren't you? It's not my business. <laughs> no. it, it's, neither, it's neither of those things, though. And part of a kind of like agent slash manager reputation sometimes is that they're, a, they're interfering or they're kind of puppet masters or anything like that. And what goes along with the theme of this medium and these talent is that actually what's so powerful about it is the talent are the editors-in-chief. They're the studio bosses. They're the people that have the direct relationship with the audience. So our role is not as a gatekeeper in the same way that you might be uh, in some of those other examples you just gave. It's more of a, a protector, facilitator strategist and we commission the work that the talent that do the commercial work that the talent do um and that's our that's our model basically it's slightly different on the gleam solutions side of things um because we are consulting with the brand on how to best navigate in the influencer world when it can as a marketing uh, tool so in a sense, like you're like a movie director in so far as, you know, everyone knows Sylvester Stallone directed sort of Rocky's two, three, 
four, six and seven, but no one knows who directed Rocky one and Rocky five because it's Sylvester Stallone as Rocky that you're going to see. Could Is, is there a commercial risk that you could be fired in a sense? Because as long as they're, they're the same on screen, it doesn't matter who's behind it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're, we are a service provider. I would hope that now we're in a position that because we've got 10 years of experience now and we've pretty much kind of like built uh, an ecosystem around the talent that we represent that being on the Gleam Futures roster affords a lot of opportunities that aren't otherwise available because of the relationships and experience and resource that we've got to be able to maximise the potential in a career of someone who wants to be a digital first talent or is creating content that they want to explore uh, the boundaries of in terms of uh, how it can be distributed. So it's the old adage, do they want 80% of a million quid or do they want 100% of a hundred grand? That kind of thing, yeah. Uh, we often talk about how 100% of sod all is sod all. It is, yeah, you're right. Don't, I know it, having gone from <laughs> one failure to the next over the years. With, with no loss of enthusiasm, I might add. What's next for you then over the next few years? Where's it all going? That's a big question. It is, and we've got another three hours, so <laughs> take, the, take it at uh, your leisure. Uh, so it's going, first of all, this is an industry that is sticking around. This whole kind of like entertaining people and growing talent off of social media platforms. The industry moves phenomenally fast, which is what makes it so exciting uh, and inspiring to be around. But it's what affords it so many opportunities as well. And I think that if we can stay... Um, ahead of the game, uh, drawing on our unrivaled experience as well, then we can start creating the best work that is yet to come. Um, I think that the knowledge of what good looks like will only increase, so you'll get buyers in the marketplace, in the ecosystem, who will be more and more expert about what they want and what they expect so we'll see a separation of wheat from chaff as it were over the next couple of years and I think that the people that are um, doing business with talent that do have big audiences on social media platforms to start with you'll see them getting ever more sophisticated about the relationship that they have with them and that means I think we'll see even more exciting work I can't wait for the day that we see the the creativity that these guys have, but exploited on other platforms with decent budget behind them as well. So we've got some really good writers on the roster. We have um, we have people that have got amazing ideas for shows that aren't on social media, but but movies and TV shows. And we're already creating a lot of really great books. Um, and I'm excited to see where that goes. So I think it will be about more kind of quality in the future, I guess. Uh, and it'll be a bit, bit more of a defined career. And the, the hurdles to be successful on these platforms will probably get a bit higher, I would have thought, which is only a good thing, I think. Is there a bit of a backlash against the, in some terms, artificiality of, of some of social media in terms of the unrealistic body image, lifestyle type scenarios? The old joke is that you see people that travel places just so they can Instagram them you know do, do you think that, uh, that social media and this influences are having a more profound impact on society than we all realize at the moment uh, I think they are having a greater impact on society but I think that the responsibility that the creators take to remain completely authentic is taken more and more seriously because I think 
that's the future of their success as well. As I started off saying, I think that the audiences on social media are incredibly savvy. It's like the wisdom of crowds, if you've ever heard that expression. Have indeed. They can tell if someone's being disingenuous about anything or faked anything or set anything up. It becomes obvious, and it's the same with the arguments over fake followers and all that kind of stuff. It becomes obvious, I think, when people are being disingenuous about what they represent on social media. And actually, the the really valuable and unique thing about the content that these guys are producing is that it it does represent an unfiltered version of their life, or it can represent an unfiltered version of their life that more and more is being used for positive uh, influence on audiences. The uh, proliferation of people portraying very real lives on social media that they wouldn't be able to on other platforms is um, is is increasing all the time, and I think that's an only good thing. Body, body positivity, um, diversity, all kinds of uh, mental health issues, all kinds of issues that are dealt with really openly and on the whole acceptingly as well on social media, uh, and I think that's a really good and positive direction for the platforms to move in. How do you divide your time personally now? What does a typical week look like for you in the kind of pie chart of time management? Where are you spending your time? It, it interests me because, you know, other entrepreneurs that are running businesses, because you can choose to focus on any aspect of the business and anything that you do focus on is going to come, in theory, at least at the expense of some, something else. So where where do you choose to prioritise your own personal attention? So I'm I'm concerned primarily with talent. That was why I started the business uh, I, I was fascinated by talent and I loved the possibilities of what they could do on these these platforms. And I spent my time finding new talent and helping our global head of talent as well, who also looking for talent and the heads of talent in their particular regions. I've never been discovered thus far, but carry Not on. Not yet, but it's interesting we're having this chat. So <laughs> it is. And I've that now might have been why I've invited you on. I've discovered you. <laughs> And I'm interested as well in the quality of work that is produced. And I'm interested in some... Oh, well, that's me straight out there now. But I'm <laughs> filled at the first hurdle. Bigger ideas as well. So how can we develop what we've done, what we've done many times in the last few years? How can we develop that into something really new and interesting for the future as well? I really do passionately feel like we're kind of... Uh, this business, I, this industry, I guess, if you look at its... The oldest take on it is 10 years old, yeah? There definitely was... Instagram didn't exist 10 years ten years ago, for starters. But if you look at the media landscape, then there was nothing to do with influencers, YouTubers, etc. 10 years ago. But I still think we're at the kind of, like, Neolithic age when it comes to what's possible and available in the future. So we've just started, really, and I'm fascinated to see where this goes next on those fronts. And, it, and what it involves is... An increase in partnership, so how deeply big media partners invest in the talent that is on, that are on these platforms and invest on these platforms, uh, and the creativity that is stimulated from those partnerships, um, and that includes brands as well. So big brand owners that are looking at these guys and these platforms for investment now, really properly kind of like putting a a stake in the ground as to right we're going to invest in this for the next couple of years and see where it, where it goes because we have a belief in it and we're just beginning to see those really 
great deep partnerships where you can work with someone strategically, be it a publisher, a, a media owner or, or a brand. And that's what we're really excited about. Are there going to be a lot of broken hearts along the way? Insofar as, you know, there is a bit of the kind of gold rush mentality. We've had some, a lot of, you know, very successful influencers that have made some money. But there seems to be thousands upon thousands of people, you know, trying to do this now. And it's it's quite mocked now on in traditional media where someone says they do Instagram as, as their career. You know, there can only be a finite number, can there not, of very successful people. And aren't the rest of them... I mean, is this going to be another rerun of Hollywood where you get, you know, thousands of people, got, you know, setting up stall in Hollywood every year, waiting tables till they get discovered and nine out of ten of them will never be discovered? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think that your analogy about there being thousands and thousands of people coming, but there'll only be a few people that will be very successful at it, rings true. That's the truth. It's right of anything, isn't it, really? Any industry, be you a a builder or a, a publisher or a Instagrammer, the really good people are going to rise to the top. It's that kind of quality that we're interested in, not only as a 360-degree manager, but also as a consultant for these brands that want to do commercial business with this talent. And I think that's what we've all... If we all focus on that, then this industry will shake off the cynicism that you just mentioned and there'll be a, a you know a successful bright future because there is no doubt if we're referring to influencer marketing uh, or influencer publishing or influencer TV or whatever, when it's done right, it really works. Is it harder for new entrants to come in if you're talent? So, for example, if I was um, a budding makeup artist on YouTube, it's already been done and done in an incredibly successful way. I mean, the, the old adage is there's only a finite number of innovations that you can make, or, or is that creativity limitless? Uh, I think that creativity is limitless. I mean, there are a lot of awesome creative people out there. I mean, it, it's played out in formats like The X Factor, that has been going for I don't know how many years now and are there any more people that can sing really well that we can find out there but yes there are you know people are being born all the time and there's some really great creative people being born all the it, time we have to have some kind of uh, backstory of total abject heartbreak <laughs> <laughs> that can be summarised in 60 seconds yeah to fit in yeah um, but I think that that's what's going to fuel this industry throughout the future is that there are some great people now there are the, the people that blazed the trail if that's an expression to start with that are at the top of their game now and then there are people that are inspired by them and have started an instagram feed but they've got their own story to tell and their own content to make and it's really good and they're the people that we're excited about in the future and i wouldn't mind pointing out as well at this phase it's not about just the number next to their name either uh, so how many followers they have it's about the quality of the stuff that they're creating and i think we're just getting into just to add a bit of that a bit to the answer to the question you asked about what's exciting about the future is that we'll be more concerned about that and there are other means of distribution for that great content that don't just rely upon the number of followers next to their name on instagram or facebook or youtube for that matter so we're interested in talent and that's what everybody should be interested in throughout you know this this whole ecosystem we're interested in talent innate talent and uh, that that includes micro, mid-tier and macro talent. Uh, the one thing they have all in, in common is they have something viable, valuable 
authentic to say and create. I've had a number of friends that post things on Instagram and they will send me an email saying, don't forget to like my post because they're chasing likes. I mean, you know, quite a few platforms have said that they're considering not publicly showing like follow account or view count or like count. Is that something that you think might be healthy? Yeah, it might well be because I think I've got two daughters and they're just getting to the age where social media is coming into their into their world. And lucky them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I kind of one thing that I worry about for them is that the the competition that goes on in terms of well, how many followers have you got? I've got this many. Does that make you better or worse than your, you know, your friend? And I think I don't think that's healthy. And I would, and if you were to talk to the top tier of our talent as well, nowadays they would be less concerned with the number next to their name. That's not how they judge themselves. That's not the that's not the calibration of their success for them. It's about the work that they create, I and mean, it's about the relationship that they have with their audience, however big or small. But if I'm some middle-aged, middle-ranking marketing executive who looks after Daz, you know, soap suds, I am going to be looking at follower counts and things like that because that's what I've been conditioned to think is what matters rather than genuine reach or engagement. I would love to counsel that middle-aged marketing executive and say that shouldn't be your primary concern at all. You should be looking at other metrics that go beyond the vanity metrics and play much more to much more meaningful and sustainable measures of success. Is all success earned insofar as the, you know, growing the platform? Because I was thinking, I can't remember the poor young lady's name, but there was the um, the young girl that did that uh, song Friday that was on YouTube where her parents had basically paid a company to write a song for her and produced a music video. And she was she would, had terrible mental health problems because, of course, she was subject to ridicule from millions of people. And all it was was a bit of fun, really. Do, do you get... Do you get sort of rich dads approach you say, I want you to make my daughter a, a YouTube megastar and there's 150 large to, to make it happen? Or, or is that something that not happens? Not yet, no. Well, this is a new business idea for you. It starts here. <laughs> and uh, that would be that would be wrong and then we wouldn't be interested because it wouldn't be authentic, basically. I think kind of like, you know, that's another one of those golden eggs. It's about... It's overused this word massively in this industry, but it is all about authenticity. That's the thing. And if you can fake that, you've got it made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And at what point on the kind of growth trajectory do you kind of is ideal for you to step in at? Do you want someone who's you know done twenty YouTube videos and got a kind of growing following, and then you can see that it's already going to be a success in its own right, and you kind of accelerate that and help monetize that? Is there an ideal kind of sweet spot on the on the um, on the growth journey that you that's ideal for you to step in? Uh, so no, there is no there's no template as to at what point you sign someone up and build a career for them. Um, it's more about, again, it's about the content that they're creating and it's not about the, the, the number next to their name. We want to add value to a career when we take a talent on and we won't take that talent on if we don't think we can add value. So it has to fit, there's a, a, a number of other criteria, but sheer volume of followers is not one of them, basically. What do you think the biggest threats to this industry are? I think that it's lack of education, probably. I think the challenge that we've all got is for the the buyers in the marketplace now that are fueling the continued growth, because at the end of the day, everybody 
coming onto the platforms to be a creator and wants to be a professional creator, if you're creating content at the level that some of these guys are, you have to dedicate your all of your time to it. It's a proper job. So there's an opportunity cost straight away. Absolutely is, yeah. There's not many people that are able to create content and compete at the level of the standard that there is out there now and hold down a full-time job doing something that isn't associated at the same time. So there is a, a you know, people need to pay their bills. Now, I think the biggest threat to this industry would be the, the, the industries that are working with this talent to not educate themselves to a particular degree whereby it can be sustained. Uh, we can make right talent selection. We can make right selection when it comes to the creative and the platforms and the strategy behind the, the creative uh, and make really good work in the future. And I think that uh, this whole kind of like is a little bit of a race to the bottom, i.e. let's try and get it as cheap as possible, uh, as much talent flood the marketplace as possible uh, and just make it as, as common as possible. And I think that that will uh, accelerate a race to the bottom and uh, the danger is that the whole industry becomes a little bit toxic because we haven't focused on what was really unique and amazing about it in the first place, which was the talent, that creativity and the relationship with the audiences. I mean, in a sense, it's not a zero-sum game, but in another sense, you have the limited time resources of your audience because, I mean, they they only might only have two or three hours a, a day to watch your client, your talent content. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of competition from other influencers on other companies' books, but also Netflix, Killing Eve, BBC, you know, Casualty. Yeah, uh, Spotify. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of competition in terms of attention, and people are starting to realise now the the, the uh, financial value of their dwell time, of their attention. I, I know myself if something's free like Facebook, then I'm the product. It's my mm -hmm. demographics that's been sold on. Yeah, but you as a consumer will become more discerning about how you spend that time, and you'll only give your time over to the four podcasts that you really love on your morning commute to work, or the six people that you follow on Instagram and they end up right at the beginning of your uh, selection algorithm, so you only see them anyway. Um, so we're back to quality of content. Yeah. Because the only way that your your talent is going to stay head and shoulders above yeah. other people is if they, there's genuine desire and demand for what they're, they're producing. Totally. Quality of content, but also the, the authenticity and the validity and all of those kind of other things. And that's why it's important, I think, for the future, for all of us to approach things on these platforms through a talent lens, through a talent first lens. And that gives a unique perspective on uh, putting authenticity and creativity at the forefront of everything that we do. Last couple of questions then. What are, I've got a friend who's uh, producing a kind of middle-ranking weekly media podcast. Bit tubby, 44 years old. He's definitely a friend and it's definitely not me. But let's say that this person, which I admit now is me, um, if I wanted to become an influencer, what, what, would you, what would you advise that I do? I would work out exactly what it is that you are 100% passionate about and know something about or can create content about. Oh, that's just getting through each day unique. without bursting into tears. I mean, <laughs> isn't that everyone? <laughs> well, I, I would say, I think you're doing a good job of it. Thanks very much. You're doing a good job of it as it is. Kind of like this unique perspective on uh, media and the world at large from uh, for media professionals. But why shouldn't you be on other platforms uh, adding a bit of colour as well to the 
great, great work that you've done on your podcast. Oh, that's very kind. I'm susceptible to flattery, so thank you very much. But actually, behind the joke, there is a serious question there, which is, do people set out now to be influencers? I mean, a lot of these people that are starting out, do they have? Do they already have the end in mind that they want to be another Zoella? They want to be that kind of influencer? Or, or is it now still a happy accident like your, your two makeup uh, artist friends? Well, I think it's, it's now a real option for someone that has something to say or has something to create because you can use these platforms to build an audience yourself. You don't have to wait to get discovered by a production company or a producer or a editor. Um, you can build the audience yourself. And I love that fact. I love the fact that it's democratising content distribution, basically. But again, it's kind of, you know, the people that really make a go of it will be the people that are really good at it or have something really unique to say or have an expert opinion that is finite in terms of at where people can get hold of it and that's the way of the world in traditional media as well as online media i mean before you entered uh, th- this kind of uh, industry when you were in, working in traditional media you had a really strong reputation for being incredibly ambitious where do you want to take gleam now what you know what's your personal ambition for the business over the next decade uh, i want i want the business to grow and i think there's lots of exciting markets around the world that uh, new talents coming up through these platforms but the but the infrastructure and the resource available in those markets isn't as sophisticated as it is here or in the states or in uh, Central Europe, etc. So, um, I'd like to um, explore the talent in those other markets, and also uh, I'd like the the brand Gleam Futures to be a byword for authentic, quality, successful campaigns or IP that's built. Last question then. What advice would you give to someone listening to this who's starting out in their career that thinks, wow, I find this guy, what he's doing, inspirational. I want to be the next Dom Smales. It was not long into my 30s, I think, that I realised that the only way to be successful at something is just sheer hard work as well. Like, there's it's a, a miserable affair, isn't it? There's, you know, you get a dish, if you get a helping of luck, then brilliant. But the one constant that is required of anybody who is a successful business owner, Graft. entrepreneur, etc. And I include all of the talent on our roster in this and anybody else who's making success in this in this industry is really, really hard work. Uh, and also relationships. Uh, I would advise anybody and do the talent on our roster and anybody, anybody that works with Gleam Futures all the time to put trust first and focus on relationships that work and build on them and invest in them. Dom, you're a legend. Thank you. Thank you. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.